316 of This Is Whole Life. And as you know, we are in the middle of our, literally in the middle of our Voices of Whole Life. And we had an, a guest speaker this past Saturday. We also have that guest speaker here, but I won't tell you who that is until just a moment. We'll make a little suspense. <laughs> From episode 315, which was last week, Arise to Making the Sabbath, it was guest Michael Paradis. And we got a text message this week, and I wanted to read that, that was in reference to that message. And this person uh, didn't give their name, so it's from Anonymous. They said, I think the key to celebrating and keeping the Sabbath holy lies solely in what we're doing the other six days of the week. As I get older and I'm really challenging my daily walk with God, I'm realizing that we as Christians truly need to be in the world and not of the world. If we adults, along with our children, are living this world's perspective on what's fun and cool and now, things like the latest TVs, movies, sporting events, etc., it will be very hard to shift our thoughts and theirs to holiness on the seventh day. The devil is subtle and is looking to, to deceive and rob each of us our time and thoughts. He's trying to keep us attached to this world. We want to fit in and not be different, so slowly we tend to forget the true blessing of the Sabbath by not doing the work on the other six. I believe that's why God, in his infinite wisdom, started this commandment with remember the Sabbath day. I think there's a lot of good points in there. If you're, I mean, it is hard to switch off and just be like, you know, like as kids when it was like, oh, three, Sabbath in three, two, one. Now put away all the other stuff. And then on Saturday going, oh, Sabbath is done in three, two, one. Where's the remote? Turn on the TV. So there is a lot of that. And so, um, any any thoughts, Ken, Jeff, special guest? Yeah, I, <laughs> I listen to this and I don't know. You know, we put such a divide on secular, spiritual. I, you know, for me, and, and I know that, good grief, I truly get this because I remember growing up in those kind of homes. But um, I like the way in which he said it. I guess I I do have a little bit of a pushback on it just because – it, it sounds like um, the the mundane things that all of us have to deal with on a weekly basis are just going to be things that we do. And I think the whole blessing, and I love what Michael said, and that was the fact that this is we don't get a, a chance a lot of times to do that creative thing mm, that yeah. that that it comes that the Sabbath affords us uh, because we're so you know keyed into getting the work that we know we have to get done done. But I wouldn't I hate to put secular and spiritual on those things. I would label them that That's way. That's a tough one. But I understand what he's saying. I, I understand the heart of what he's saying. But yeah. I, I just say, man, the the lives that we do, the things that we do throughout the day, and as I watch Jesus Christ work throughout the week, his life his life was holy. Those days were sacred. Every single day was yeah. sacred. So to put that kind of parameter on it, which is when we stop to do the secular things and start to do the sacred things, I I, I just feel like we need to be a little careful with that terminology. That's just me. I go along with that. Ken, any thoughts? We defer to Jeff. We defer to Jeff today. I <laughs> I think you know, I, that's right. you know it's hard uh, for me. It's always hard when you hear um, something like that to. To know all the context yeah. and exactly what's what's where what's where it's coming from and all that. That's so true. I guess I heard it a little bit differently than Jeff. I was hearing that we need to incorporate uh, holiness into the you know the first six days. Oh yeah. So that it's not sure. such a big 
well, you know, this is the day for holiness. And then the other six days go out and do whatever I want and then try to flip this big switch where, uh, whereas I, whereas I think that if that's what I was hearing, I don't, that's, yeah. that's what I heard in the reading of it, but no, I do think that uh, it, it, you're absolutely right. I think he probably was saying, or she was saying that, um, in terms of let's let's make every day count, yeah. count for that that creative. That's holy. hard. To, I mean, that's hard yeah. to disagree with, and it's hard to yeah. disagree with the devil would love to make the Sabbath anything but fun or joyous or right. or even holy for that matter. Yeah. So I think Good. we can go along with that. I'm just appreciative that somebody wrote it and said something to us. Yeah. So well, you know what that proves to me. Because if you look at our first two messages by the voices of WLC, you can't see my air quotes, but I'm doing them. We're not shying away from the difficult. Gina's message, the waiting, you know, that's always the hard part. Hello, Tom Petty. The contentious, (laughs) how to make or how to make versus keep your Sabbath. I mean, the Sabbath being a very controversial issue and how you keep it. And even the taboo, I think mental health that reveals our weaknesses and worse was covered this week. So our members aren't going, they're just going all in each week on tackling the kind of messages that many of us really don't want to talk about or really consider or really debate the finer details of because then those things that you have to deal with that may be left over from childhood or who knows what. It's things that we actually have to put in front of us and go, all right, I guess I got to tackle that. So without further ado, our guest this week was Tatiana Perez. Hello, everyone. So tell me or tell us a little bit. I Before we recorded, I, I know we were we used to be sweet mates at, uh, at the Haas Orlando Hospital Campus Advent Health. And but we didn't really know each other. And so when I saw you for the first time, I was like, oh, that's her name. I never, you know, just didn't know who you were. And then you made me cry on the front row when you said you wanted to be Sparkle's friend from sh- uh, from oh. scene. And Ellie's like, she just talked about it. And we're over there like, that was very nice of her to say that. So, you know, immediately you're my friend. So tell us a little bit about Tatiana before we start. Oh, wow. Um, about me? Yeah. So I am, uh, okay, first thing comes to my mind, I'm a foodie. I love food. Mm, so mm. I love to talk about food and I love to enjoy food and share it with other people, what excites me. So you can ask my coworkers and they all know that if you want a good a, a opinion of where to go out to eat, ask Tatiana, right? And then often, oftentimes I'll sh- bring something in and share with them like I did today with the tea. Yeah. Um, she brought us a gift today at the studio. Oh, nice. Some yummy Korean tea. I love Ooh, it. Nice. Um, so that's one of the, the joys of of life that I that I have and then um I'm definitely of course a mama and a wife and I love and uh just hanging out with my family on the weekends and enjoying the different attractions of central Florida and discovering new places to go and things to do um so I have to interrupt you you you, you've come to the right place as a foodie all right so you're missing a part in the episode you're like what just happened well, tune in on Friday night and you'll know what happened because we had a foodie special episode because turns out Tatiana is a foodie. I gave you just that little piece of information before I cut and moved to this. And you're going, what happened? And we now we return off. to our regularly scheduled program. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and now, because let's all face it, we all have a little bit of foodie in us and we all want to know where, especially today, things are expensive. And if I'm going to go out to eat, 
I want to know. I'm getting something good for my money. So we went through a ton of different options. We did Greek. We did Italian. We did gelato. We did tacos. We did uh, nitrogen ice cream. We did uh, chicken. We did all kinds of stuff. So there's a little bit of something for everyone, even vegetarians. So tune in on Friday evening, probably about 5, 6 p.m., and you will find this in your feed for the bonus foodie. All right, back to Tatiana. So you were telling us a little bit about yourself. So what is it that makes you qualified in this and that it, in what you do every single day? You go into the trenches at your job, right? This is yes. not something that is uh, foreign to you in any way. And so what part did that play in this message for you? Because you could have preached on anything. Mm. And I just want to say that like a big thank you for so many people that I saw heads up and down moving. I saw people wiping tears and it was quiet. And you always know when people are resonating, when there's that certain quiet and it's uncomfortable and you're, you know, we're talking about mental health and you shared something that was very, very personal in your story that, you know, not everyone might feel comfortable sharing. And then you tied it to Jesus and how he dealt with struggles. And I thought, man, that is brilliant. Because now we're looking at, you gave four tips, and I want to hit those tips or what Jesus did the way the way you saw it. And that very specifically because, to me, it almost felt like we were just really looking at Jesus as a human because we often confuse or we blur the lines between he was divine, he was human, and which part was he at this point? And he was perfect. Story? Right, and he was perfect, and we can't do that, but... The first one you said he sought help as he was facing his greatest struggle. And to think that Jesus struggled. Tell tell us more about that, about how you came to the message and started and you really unwrapped these four. Thank you for that question. I think perhaps uh, my view of the world because of the work that I do is, in a sense, I guess I want to say skewed, because <laughs> I, I actually encounter people most of the time when they are at one of the most difficult points of their lives. Like I see a lot of the bad and the ugly. I see a lot of the good too. But something that I really love about my work in the in the hospital is that there's not a lot of room for putting on masks. Mm. People are oftentimes at their most raw and real moments of their lives. And they're going through some of the most challenging, if not the most challenging thing in their lives at that time. And so I'm often able to journey with people when they are at that precipice of entering into the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm exposed to it almost every day. So I think that just thinking about my experiences journeying with these people, and it has helped me to really embrace the value of walking into that darkness. Mm. It has helped me to learn about a God that is there in our most difficult moments. And if it's okay, I want to share a a little personal experience that I had that really sparked in me this passion. So as chaplains, we have a lot of times different specialties because we oftentimes hang out uh, or specialize in different areas of the hospital. So we have, you know, oncology and neurology and cardiac and behavioral health. And my areas um, that I've been in for over 11 years now has been the mother-baby units. So within my subspecialties is perinatal and infant loss. Ouch. And Mm. one of the things that really sparked that passion 
for that care for these families was uh, an occasion that I had to care for this mom. She was in her early 20s, maybe 21, 22. She was young. This was her first baby. Dad had, you know, her boyfriend had kind of disappeared after she got pregnant. And her mom, she talked about her mom dying when she was 16, and her mom was like her everything. And so she hardly had anybody in life. Her dad was around, but it was kind of distant. She mostly grew up with her mom, and, of course, her mom had passed away. So what happened in this case was that the baby was diagnosed with some conditions that were incompatible with life. And so she ended up delivering this very little baby. And, of course, the baby possibly died around the same time that he was born. And I remember I met her before she delivered, and we had a wonderful conversation. You know, she talked about her family, her life, God— her baby. And I also got from that conversation that she did want a baby blessing after baby was born. So I remember after spending maybe an hour or so with her, I went back to my office and I was getting ready to leave. And then they call me from the unit. Hey, can you come up? She's delivering. I'm like, oh man. So I dropped everything, went back up there. And as I was walking into the room, it's like pretty much she gave that last push and the baby was born. And I watched as the nurses cut the umbilical cord and handed her this precious little boy, little, I think he was in like in his 23-week gestation. I watched as she um, oohed and all over her baby. She was like, wow, you know, you look perfect on the outside. You know, it was inside that had some issues. But I mean, he was beautiful. And, and, and I saw her ooh and ah for her baby. And as she was crying and tears of joy as well as tears of sorrow, and I was with her as, you know, we cleaned the baby up, we dressed him, took pictures, I did a baby blessing, and we were just there with her. And what was interesting to me was during this time, I was starting to feel this strange kind of joy, and I couldn't understand why I'm like, this baby died, you know, why am I feeling joy? And as I thought of that, it just stayed with me. And and of course, there was a part of me that was sad, but I couldn't explain this strange kind of joy. I I can tell you this. I mean, I really felt like taking my shoes off in that room because I knew I was on on holy ground. Wow. And I knew that being in that moment of birth and of death was extra, you know, that those are holy moments for me. So when I went back to my office after this encounter, this sense of joy was still with me. And so I felt like I needed to just kneel down and praise God. So I went in my office and kneeled down in front of my chair, and I just started praying and praising God. I'm like, God, I don't know why I'm, so, I'm praising you, but I feel like I need to, and I don't understand this feeling, but wow, praise you, and thank you for this opportunity. And as I was doing that and praying, I just felt that God just put in my heart saying, see, Tati, this is why I have you in chaplaincy, so you can experience life through death. And in my mind's eye, I could imagine just Jesus on the cross. So ever since then, I feel like, it's been a subject of interest to explore what it means to walk in that in that darkness of, of course, the story of the cross, which to me includes the story of Gethsemane. And where is the joy in that and where is even beauty in some ways? Because that's where God can show up and ultimately it of course, on the cross is where that promise of salvation was sealed. You know, that's why we have that hope of salvation. So 
it really sparked to me this passion to be with these families. And even though sometimes I have to go back to my office and I cry, <laughs> I I feel so honored to be there with families during some of their darkest moments of their lives. So this is part of what sparked the desire in me to talk a little bit about what that looks like and what can help us as we're going through our dark moments, because we all do. It looks a little different with everyone, but it, we all do. That's a beautiful story. And for anyone that's listening, I, I, I don't know what, you know, we all take things a little bit differently, but what I heard for you was that's a lot of faith and a lot of trust because we often in experiences that are dark or heavy, at least for me, I feel like we don't trust what we feel. I shouldn't, I mean, I shouldn't feel happy. That's ridiculous. Why would I do that and maybe move that off to the side for something more appropriate that I'm feeling? Move that off and concentrate on the negative. And to have that ability or for God to, to move that way, I just think it's a really unique example of trusting your gut and your relationship with God to say, I have no idea why this is, and yet here we are. And that that is so unique. And I think you just relate it beautifully that that was your experience. Yeah, Randy, I think I think you used the word happy and and I think in in part of our conversation on on Sabbath at church, uh, Tatiana talked a little bit about the difference between happiness and joy and 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 I think that's not I don't think it's just a semantics thing. I think it really matters that we kind of understand that difference between. Yeah. And so, Tatiana, do you want to you want to kind of dive in for the people listening to this podcast and and how you would describe? Because I hear what you are saying in that situation is that you are experiencing joy, joy yes, not, which might not be the same as happiness. Because yeah. so, can you explain? Can you explain why that isn't? It would be odd to be happy when a, when a when a baby dies. Yeah. But from a Christian perspective, it isn't necessarily wrong. Uh, I shouldn't say necessarily. It isn't wrong to feel joy in some very tragic situations. So can you kind of explain that for listeners? You might not be as familiar with that. And I think that's something you must have You must have to hold on to in the job that you're in. You have to have a sense of of joy in some of the things that you're going through, even when most people would not find happiness in those, but, but right. you can find joy. Yeah. And and it, I definitely f- describe it as a, a feeling of joy. And and I know I was experiencing grief at the same time. First of all, I've recognized that in our human experience, we have this incredible capacity of feeling more than one feeling at the same time. And it can even be like polar opposite feelings. So one thing that I think brought that up is just watching this mom as she was feeling joy and ooing and aahing over her baby and just be like, wow, he's so cute. Just um, looking at his little nose and his eyes and his, you know, little fingers and toes. And there was something about that that I know that she could feel that joy as well. At the same time, you could see there was that grief and that sadness because she wasn't going to be taking this baby home. There's something about that experience I truly believe because of these moments are the moments that I've most felt like taking my shoes off. These moments have been some of the most holy moments that I've felt that I've been able to encounter. I believe, and I guess you could say one of my theories is that we are most, I guess, holy when we are most human. 
when we're able to embrace the fullness of our humanity and our human experience. And I appreciate you saying, you know, sometimes we want to, like, I want to say deny certain aspects Mm, of ourselves, but I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we try to deny certain feelings or aspects of ourselves because we're not embracing the fullness of our humanity. And so to be real and honest with ourselves about our experiences, very important. Going back to just what to me joy means, happiness, I think, has a lot more to do with our circumstances and joy doesn't. Happiness um, is more about the moment, you know, of and I would equate it more like with pleasure and 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 finding things that bring us pleasure and are, you know, fun and good. That's it's great. But joy, I think, comes from something that brings meaning. And again, it isn't dependent upon our circumstances. But I believe that when I find meaning in that situation is where it can help me to find joy as well. And so that because that encounter with this mommy and baby was so meaningful, I've, I think that that led me to feel that sense of joy. And I'll never forget that baby. I mean, that baby, his life made a difference. His life has made an impact. I know on his mommy's life and certainly on my life. It really helped to determine how I viewed my ministry. And this was early on the first year or two of my uh, work here. And so being able to embrace the fullness of our humanity and even when we have like a f- these sen- the senses experience these feelings that are even polar opposites. It's it's okay, you know. I think that Jesus was able to embrace the fullness of his humanity, and and that's when I find I'm most walking on holy ground. I love those four that you that you put out there again, just because what you just said when Jesus embraced his humanity and the realization. It really, I mean, we know this. We as Christians, we've heard the story. But in the in the way that you presented it, that he sought help as he was facing his greatest struggle. And all he did was ask his friends to hang out, right? And how yeah. many times have we counted on people and just like the disciples, they they fell <laughs> they fell asleep on us. And he said he was very real and raw about his feelings and his experience. And he was willing to be vulnerable. And he got the point of surrender and acceptance, and he arose with grit and courage. And those four things, and you think, well, those are all pretty, they're pretty easy until you really start to put them in the context of this dark place that we go to and these valleys and these places that are the low points where oftentimes I don't want to talk to anyone about this. I don't want to talk to my spouse about it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to my best friend, my best friend about it. I certainly don't want to talk to someone at church about it because it's either TMI, it's oversharing. It's now, you know, all my junk. I mean, this is, I find it hard to encourage people to take care of your mental health when now, I don't think anybody wants to do it. Nobody just wakes up and goes, man, I hope I can overshare with someone today or they can think less of me or I can get judged today because of whatever my baggage is. So it, it almost seems hypocritical. And I'll be honest, that's what I was thinking when we were coming. I was like, man, I hate these because it's really hard to not sound like, well, you should do, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I don't really mean it because I would never do it or I wouldn't want anyone else to have to do it because I know how uncomfortable it is. How do we encourage people to somehow find not the happy, but find, you know, find the other, embrace what's there 
And what kind of tools do we have to offer to people that may maybe something they haven't thought of or a different perspective on something they have heard of that's real and something tangible that they can kind of hang on to from this from this message and from this episode. So it doesn't just become, well, you know, at Whole Life, we like to talk about these things, but, you know, we don't really have anything for you. What, what do you have that you could share with us that would help in that regard? Well, I remember uh, one of my mentors telling me that you don't put your pearl before swine, right? You don't just share that intimate, that personal part of yourselves with just anybody. And it makes me think of how I see our story and our most personal part. To me, our story is part of our sacred ground. And when we tell our personal story to somebody, we're inviting them into the holy and sometimes even most holy parts of our hearts in our sacred ground. And I mean, just looking at, you know, when when Israel had the tabernacle, only certain people, you know, only the priests could go into the holy and most holy places. And there was a lot of respect about that. And I think that that there is something about us knowing how to take care of ourselves and knowing how to identify who is a safe person to share that sacred ground with of our story and of what we're going through. And I, I really uh, love what Brene Brown teaches. I think, at least from what I've been able to find, she's got one of the best lists of how to identify what safe people are and also how we can be a safe person for somebody else. Oh, nice. And so I, I remember reading the book Braving the Wilderness by her, and she has it in that book. She also had it in Dare to Lead. And I got this list out, off of her website, which is has a lot of good information So she uses uh, braving for this list, which braving stands for boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault, integrity, non-judgment, and generosity. Mm. And so just briefly, just to explain those a little bit, boundaries, of course, setting boundaries is making clear what's okay and what's not okay and why. And to me, this is a big one. I think that a lot of our relationships get skewed and unsafe when we don't have healthy boundaries mm, agreed, for ourselves yeah. or you know or even the person that we're sharing with if that person doesn't has, have doesn't have good boundaries yeah exactly so we need to have healthy boundaries for ourselves and we need to know that that person knows how to have healthy boundaries and that includes you know being okay with saying no or yes depending on the circumstance and remember you know when we say no to something we're saying yes to something else when we say yes to something we're saying no to something else so just having those safe boundaries and and if you want more information i highly recommend the books by cloud and townsend they have a whole series on boundaries which is excellent um so the next one is reliability it means you do what you say you'll do and at work this means staying aware of your competencies and limitations so you don't overpromise and are able to deliver on commitments and balance uh, competing priorities. Right, so just, yeah. You <laughs> I think know. we're looking into next week's sermon on, <laughs> uh, on how to handle everything in a crazy world. So stay tuned. There might be some more tips next week. Right. So just knowing that you are reliable and you're going to do what you say what you, that you yeah. do. Accountability. You own your mistakes. You apologize and make amends when, when you're able to. So just owning my, like, that sounds easier than maybe it is sometimes, but this is about tough conversations, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's about being willing to take that feedback too. That, Like um, my story with my director, Edwin, 
it was not pleasant to hear all that he had to tell me. <laughs> but I decided, you know what, I want to listen because I know that he cares for me and he he does come from a place where he has the best intention for me. Well, when I heard your story, I mean, just that I know and I'm friends with Edwin personally, you got one of the best mentors and, and guides there. So I was I was happy that it was Edwin because I could imagine, even though the conversation wasn't a happy one, I could imagine the grace with which he delivered. And just because knowing Edwin and I'm like, there's a safe person right there, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Vault. You don't share information or experiences that are not yours to share. I need to know that my confidence are kept and that you're not sharing with me any information about other people that should be confidential. That might be number one. And for me, I, I think that's one where if you don't know you have that, then I think even subconsciously you hold back. Yeah. There's things that you're not going to say. There's things you aren't going to share because I just don't know for sure that this is as far as it goes. And if I ever heard this come back somewhere, wow. Mm-hmm. How how devastating. Wow, that's a big one. Right. That's a big and a one. lot of times we know, you know, if we're sharing, if we hear the person sharing about somebody else, their personal stuff, you know, and if I hear somebody telling me something personal about somebody else, not them, not themselves, I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, I need to be careful about, I can share about my story. Sure. Um, but not about somebody else's. I have to be very careful how I handle that. And so being a trustworthy person. And then the next one is integrity, choosing courage over comfort, choosing what's right over what's fun, fast or easy, and practicing your values, not just professing them. Wow. And I think this is a great list so far. You understand why all the things that you have to overcome to be or to share or to find what you're looking for in someone or yourself, even yourself to share, someone to share it with. It gives a better idea of why it's so hard. Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And and very worth it to per- pursue, definitely. But Yeah, there <laughs> yeah. you go. I like that. Flip it around and make the positive. This is why we need to do it. Yeah, I like that. And the next one is non-judgment. I can ask for what I need, and you can ask for what you need, and we can talk about how we feel without judgment. Mm. And I have a quote about that. Um, this is by Annie McCaffrey. She said, make no judgments where you have no compassion. No skin in the game. Don't don't bother. Yeah. And I think that's something that we often, you know, we want to judge and we want to hop on and you know, criticize somebody. But I love this how first before I do that, I'm like, wait a second. Do I have compassion here? Let me hold back and 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 really examine this and examine myself and where I'm at in that, too. I was thinking about one of those stories that I thought about when I was preparing this message. I think that oftentimes we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And just to give an example, some weeks or a couple months ago, I was at this event and I remember I was sitting there you know, with my husband waiting for this event to take place to start. And as we were sitting there, kind of nothing going on at the moment. I was just looking around, just people watching. And almost without without even thinking or planning or wanting this, I realized that I was starting to observe people. And then in my mind's eye, I was like making judgments about them, you know, on their appearance, on their clothes, on their hair, on 
you know. Uh, people watching, you have to be careful, right? Because it turns into people judging really, yes. really, really fast, unfortunately. And I noticed that as I was making these assumptions and judgments in my mind about these people based on how I saw them, I was first of all, I wasn't feeling very good about myself. And and when I realized that I was talking about myself, I was like, wait a second. Why am I do that, doing this? Why am I judging these people? And I kind of prayerfully asked myself that and asked God that. And I'm like, well, I know better. I know that we are not, you know, our value doesn't come with what, how we look. Our value comes from the fact that we're God's beloved children. And so I was just praying. I'm like, God, please forgive me. I'm like, please help me to see every single one of these people as you see them. Yeah. And in that moment, I, I felt like just that reminder, that inner voice that said, well, Tati, you have been very judgmental about yourself and your appearance lately. Mm. Mm. And I was like, wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was portraying on other people what I was personally struggling with. And that's why I, I do like the, the quote that says, you know, we see things not as they are, but as we are. And I think that has a lot to do with judging. I'm learning that if I find myself starting to judge someone, I mean, there might be one finger pointing towards there, but there's actually three fingers pointing at me. We've talked a lot about that through the through the Love at Work, the Law series about how, and I think it was, I don't remember whose message it was, but it really got, to, it was Ken's, I think. And it really got me that how am I supposed to be any good at any of this when there's times when my self-talk and my idea of who Randy is because I'm completely imperfect and I'm a complete mess and I need Jesus for everything. If I don't feel that, how am I supposed to tell someone else how great Jesus is? Because I'm not really letting that happen in my own life the way I should, because if I did, I would have a different perspective. It would shine through. You can totally tell when you're in that place where the things are pretty good and, and I feel Jesus. I want to share him. And then there's those times you're like, I'm kind of icky and gross and I'm in this spot in the darkness and I'm not really sure about me or all these different things. So that that's a huge piece of it. But yet it's, isn't it the, like what we're talking about people that are struggling with mental health, isn't that's a lot of how they feel mm-hmm. all the time anyway. How do we help someone get past that point to see like, I, I'm okay even though I'm not okay, I have to at least see something good in me uh, uh, getting on point because I think the starting is always the hardest part. If you're just sitting there, it's easy to do nothing, but to do something is at least a step in the right direction. What helps me in that is realizing where my identity and my value comes from. And it isn't in what I do or don't do. It's in who I am. And my favorite verse of the Bible that talks about who I am is I am God's precious and beloved child. Um, based, um, I'm thinking about where Jesus was um, baptized. And when he came out of the water and that voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I love the idea that when I accept Jesus as my savior, put on that mantle of righteousness, if you will, that's how God sees me. I'm his precious and beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased. Mm. And it takes not just knowing it here in our minds, but also in our hearts to really live it, that we can truly start to show it, not just to myself, but also to others. Yeah. One more. It was one more. The last thing, um, generosity that Bernie Brown talks about. This is the last one. And this means extending the most generous interpretation to the intentions, words, and actions of others. In other words, think the best possible outcome instead of the worst. 
Don't yeah. just assume the worst. Assume the best. Assume the best. The other thing I wanted to talk to Tatiana a little bit about that I think would be probably helpful for all of us is how to be that friend with somebody who's going through loss. I think, Tatiana, you, you're you're very well trained in how to deal with grieving people, but a lot of people aren't. A lot of us uh, who may not be in ministry or may not be – even some of us who are in ministry really kind of struggle with how to uh, relate and, um, and talk – in a way to somebody who's going through difficulty and hurt and pain in a way that actually meets them where they're at and doesn't doesn't condescend, doesn't uh, at the same time tell them not to feel the way that they're feeling. What pieces of advice would you give to somebody out there who has a friend who's lost somebody that means a lot to them or is going through a difficult time? What kind of things should they say to them? What kind of things shouldn't they say to them? Man, that and this is a, a very important topic for me because um, when it comes to baby losses, for example, and I've encountered a lot of staff that are maybe new on the units, and, and one of their biggest concerns is, man, I'm afraid of going in there because I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. What to say or what not to say in these moments of crisis is a big deal. And I think that there is a, a need for more education in among our society on how to speak to where we don't add more trauma and what are appropriate things to say and what not to say. So in general, some of the appropriate things to say to somebody going through a, a difficult time, I can say that I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I'm so sorry about this. I'm so sorry you're going through this tough time. I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, there are a few exceptions to that. Once in a while, if a person's been hearing that over and over again, it can get tiring to hear that I'm sorry yeah. all the time. So I think the timing is important and just just you know check in and see what all is going around with that person. And then once in a while, I, I have come across somebody who said, why are you sorry? You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> so once in a while, there are some people that don't like that, but for the most part, I think people understand that it's a, it's a way of conveying um, a safe that, way, maybe <laughs> with hopefully. Yeah, just saying, man, you know, um, this is so sad for me too. And something else that I found that is is safe to say when a person is going through a tough time is, I wish things were different. I wish things were different, and and just acknowledging, man, this was really tough. Mm-hmm. And we can convey that we are, you know, what how we feel. Man, I'm so sad for your loss, or I'm so sad that you're having to go through this. Just showing our, that we also feel sad. But not making it about us. Right, yeah. Just, But I think it's okay for us to, for them to know that it we saddens it us as well. Okay. That's good. So often we find we just avoid those situations and we don't. That's true. We don't uh, move or lean into it. We just sort of say, I don't know what to say, so I'm not going to go there at all. And then sometimes right. when we do, we try to, to try to find the meaning yeah. in it for ourselves. You yeah. know, well, you know, maybe God did this so that. <laughs> but, I mean, how many times yeah. do we hear that? You know, and, and really that comes down to a rationalization for ourselves. For it's just like I'm trying to make meaning out of this because – we all want to have a sense that that pain is not for nothing. That there's some something, something that, that could come out. We it. we want to give God the opportunity to to be good in in that situation. And, and but sometimes that that can really be painful for another person um, yeah. because we don't really what makes sense in our own heads may not particularly be comforting at all to another person. In fact, it can be pretty painful to hear. Well. 
you know, God wanted your child to be with him. Or um, maybe <laughs> my favorite one I heard one time, is I just was like, oh, you didn't just say that. It's like, well, you just don't know what that child might have grown up to be, you know, and and, 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 you're, and, um, and so, you know, God maybe knew that it was best at this time. That, and uh, I mean, that's just so painful on so many yeah. different levels for that parent. But but if we're all honest, I think all of us have stuck our foot in our mouth more than once with somebody who's in pain. And I think that the, for me, Tatiana, one of the keys is not to just because – not to give up being a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that When we have friends that go through these things, when we have people that we don't just back away because we're, we're terrified we're going to do the wrong thing, but to – prayerfully think about the right things that we can do and, and right. maybe talk to somebody like yourself or Pastor Jeff or any of the other p- folks on our pastoral team who could, you know, kind of give you some guidance on some things that might be good and not good to say. I really like, and thanks, Ken, I really like the fact that what we could do is just do some studying on our own. Because I think even in the comments, these simple comments that you made, those are comments that when you reflect on it, you thought, oh, you know, why that comment is so meaningful is because it doesn't, it doesn't rationalize my own pain mm-hmm. or it doesn't fix me. It actually has something to do with them. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So the more we study, the more we, you know, I think it's important that we do go down those pathways of inquiry about what could I do? What And boy, information is not at a loss these days. You can find really good information out there. So thank That's you true. for the yeah. resources. I've always appreciated someone that will come in in a situation and just be honest and say, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I, I'm literally at a loss for words. and Or they'll just say, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And we had a lot of that. We had a lot of a little bit of everything. Like when Emily was born, we were devastated and there was a ton of emotions that we didn't know. We didn't understand. There was medical things we didn't understand. And so we've been in that place where everyone calls, texts, they stop by, they visit you in the hospital and they say just the most ridiculously insane things because their mind is going and they want to show you. So you have to show them a little bit of grace that they made the effort. But the delivery was just, you know, just so horrible. And you're just – and sometimes you can't get it out of your head. Some of the things – I mean, I can rattle four off that were just like, wow, just cut from the bottom and don't come back because, I mean, I'm done now. Man. So it, it's good to be able to have some of those. But I think for me, one of the most meaningful – like if you don't know what to say, to say I don't know what to say. Yes. And like you said, I'm, I'm – I hurt for you or I'm devastated. But Or if you're just scared to say I don't know what to say. But you're there, right? Isn't that the most important that we actually took the time to show up? I think, I think another thing that's always appropriate to say is you can say, I don't know what to say, but I do know I love you and Ooh. I want you to feel loved and cared about right now. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, and I'm here good. with you. Absolutely. How I do can think I walk that, with you? So, by the way, I'm going to put out a plug right now because uh, we – and it's shame, It's not shameless. It's just – I'm going to put it out. It's perfect. I know where you're but, going. Go um, Stephen Ministers study this. That we have a Stephen Ministries group in our church, and they study this on a for fifty hours of they do go through this. So I do want to if you're if you're one of those kind of people that says you know what I'd really like to learn more, then you, you need to look into Stephen Ministries. And the other side of it, Jeff, as I would say, is I think that the other side of it is that if you are dealing with pain, sometimes yeah. one of the hardest things on earth to do is to admit it and yeah. to say, hey, I. I am struggling, 
I am having a hard time dealing with this. And so, um, you know, one of my encouragements would be if, if you're going through something painful, I mean, we have some resources here right. for you, some well-trained people who really would like to to be there uh, and walk with you. And, uh, and it would be uh, just a really helpful thing. I, I think that things don't heal without being put into contact with healing agents. And, and it's the same thing with our psyche. You know, we can, it, what happens is we, we kind of are continually tearing open the wound in our own mind when, when we really need to go to the doctor, go get help. And, and so the same thing I would say is true. So for those of you out there who, who, are, who are hurting, maybe you're silently hurting, maybe nobody, maybe not even your spouse knows you're hurting, please say something. Don't hurt alone. You know, I was just reading um, an article yesterday about Robin Williams. Um, oh yeah, uh, and uh, they, 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 I guess they released some information about the autopsy that he had. It turned out he had a, um, a, dise- a, a disease, especially disease, a yeah. debilitating disease. I'd never heard of, like Lude's. Um, I can't pr- bodies, Ludi's, Ludi's bodies, or something like that. Anyway, point is, it's it's a it's a form of dementia, but th- what. What just punched me in the gut was hearing his wife say that how devastated she was that Robin didn't feel like she could he he he, he could talk to, her, talk about to her anyone yeah. about what he was going through and they they think he must have been going through a lot more than he was sharing based on the autopsy report and so you know I guess that's the part that just hit me in the gut is like what a talented human being how sad to see that he didn't feel like there that that he could speak to what was going on in his life and what he was feeling and. If you're one of those people out there that there's something going on and you just can feel that, but you don't feel like anybody will either care or know how to help you or listen, I'm just begging you, try. Just try. Um, and if the first person doesn't do it the right way, try another person until you find that right thing. Uh, you know, you know, life is precious and it's important and, and we all struggle with pain in our lives and we all need somebody to walk alongside of us. Well, and I think for the Stevens ministers, I mean, my wife is one at our church and they're looking to help. I mean, like when you have a care receiver, your life is is improved, <laughs> even though it's it's hard, right? It, it yeah. is that you're you're taking this journey with someone and you're listening and you're doing all the things that Jeff already mentioned that you're trained to do, but they're they're there for this purpose and to and to be the vault like you talked about. Like when you do and you are engaged with the Stevens minister, that's the vault that we're talking about. That's a safe person that's already been trained to be that safe person. So you know whatever you talk about will stay there. And I think that's a huge that would be one of the main reasons I would want to go. And just knowing and seeing my wife when she has had a care receiver, and I know nothing about the care receivers or what they need or what what they do. But it's always it, – she's a different person when she has that. And I think that's the compassion of Jesus coming through us. And those people have agreed and they've gone after it with 50 hours. Is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and they've done yeah. a lot of training. And so like Ken said, don't don't suffer because Alone. if you don't have someone that you can talk to or, you, or like – I know, Tatiana, you mentioned that you have a – you know, someone that you talk to, a therapist, and I know a lot of people do. It's not it doesn't quite have the stigma that it used to, but if it hasn't for you, there's something here even at Whole Life Church that we can have someone to walk with you is is just so important. And we can all think of people that we wish, just like the Robin Williams story. We always have, we all have a Robin Williams in our life, and so I, I would encourage everyone to do that. It's a it's a really really great resource. So. 
we had a bunch of questions that came in during the response that we didn't get to, and I thought Ken was pretty productive in getting through a bunch. Anonymous asks, arise to pray sounds a bit counterproductive. How can we practically arise and rise to pray? I will say, to me, prayer is a lifting of the heart to God. Mm. And so I do see myself, even though I might be prostrated, you know, kneeling down, but I do have want that sense that when I'm praying of just like lifting my my heart and my thoughts up to him. And to me, that would be a way of arising to pray. I like that. All right. Sonny E. Moretta, I think I pronounced that correct, wants to know how does one gather courage to own one's feelings? And I, when I read that, I immediately thought of how you described your encounter with Edwin. So, you know, from your perspective, how did you, how did you gather that courage knowing that it Probably wasn't, you know, because you had the, can I take a time out and can I come back with the response? Right. And that gave you the time. So what did you do during that time to do that? And what made you choose the road that you did to come back and say, I'm going to own this? I will say this much. When I started on my journey of healing, I don't know that I could have done it by myself. Okay. So for a person who hasn't had that example or somebody safe with them in that journey, I would recommend that if you want to um, gain the courage to really get to know yourself and explore that darkness that we all go through sometimes, it can really make a difference to have somebody trustworthy to walk with you. Mm. So, for example, for me, um, having counselors that knew how to ask questions and having my supervisors when I was going through my training for chaplaincy was huge as well. And they could walk with me. They presented a safe place for me to really explore and, and and stop and think about what I was going through. And having somebody there that showed that compassionate presence towards me helped me to have compassion towards myself, which helped me to gain courage to be more real and honest with myself and say, you know what, it's okay to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly because it's only when I face these things that I can find healing. Wow, I like that. So, find all, find the good in all, or all three of them. Yes, acknowledging it exactly because wow. we all have it, and that's and it's a, it's part of our human experience. And I think that when we are able to acknowledge that and be honest and own it, and then we are in a position where we can find healing and and help know how to manage it better and and bring it to Christ for healing. So, so I would recommend to this person to try to find somebody that is trained and can help them to process those feelings. That's a that's a tough one because I think, again, there's that safe person because if you don't, I mean, if this person is objective and uh, sometimes I think, you know, your loved ones will tell you all kinds of things and, and maybe they're true and maybe from their perspective, they're true, but it doesn't always mean that that equates to you going, well, they said that it must be true and now I feel it and everything is better. And so finding that trusted person, maybe sometimes that's a little bit disconnected from the situation might yeah. be the key. Sometimes it is better to talk to somebody that is a little removed from. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Marcia asked, shouldn't all Christians die happy in Christ knowing that on that resurrection day, they will see their Savior? That should be enough, right? I mean, it's great if we can be happy, right? <laughs> yeah. Sure. But there's something that I wanted to mention about this uh, as I was reflecting on this question, is, and that is this. Our salvation does not depend upon our level of happiness or lack of. And, it, and I cannot imagine 
a parent being happy about their child passing away, although they can still have that hope that their child is going to be in heaven mm. and they're going to see them again one day. And I've seen people that, you know, when they're passing away, I mean, some of them are very comfortable and they're at peace and it's a beautiful death, but then others are in pain and not feeling good. And I mean, if it were me in pain, I wouldn't be feeling very happy. Yeah, of course. Uh, but as we had mentioned before, uh, happiness and joy are two different things. So thankfully, I, I don't think our it matters so much how we're feeling as it does where we have placed our trust in, in you know, in in God, of course. Yeah. That we have that hope of salvation. It's a good way to look at it instead of just putting it on feelings, which can change so fast situationally and anything in your life can make that go from zero to the opposite direction in a real hurry. All right. Our last, well, last one isn't really a question more than it is a comment. Rob said, what a beautiful sermon of a rise. I pray that I have the courage that at my Lord had and had at that time. Thank you, Tatiana, for sharing this beautiful, heartfelt sermon. Thank you. I pray that I have the courage too. Yeah. No, don't we all? Don't miss the message if you didn't see it, because Tatiana gave it in such a way and with the quotes that she had, she had some great quotes that you might want to put on your mirror or put on your car, you know, the steering wheel or in the bathroom when you're getting ready in the morning, because there was a lot of good quotes that I hadn't, a lot of them I hadn't heard before. And they were really good. And and just to think, I already have one that's on my uh on my edit monitor so that it's there looking me in the face because it's one that I personally needed. And so thank you for those. And so if you have anything to add, something we said, didn't say, didn't cover, should have said, let us know by voicemail or text 407-965-1607 or podcast at Whole Life Church. And just like at the beginning of this episode, we'll read them next week. And our final thoughts are from the closing to Tatiana's message where she finished with Exodus 20, verse 21 and said, and the people stood afar off, but Moses and entered into the deep darkness where God was. May we arise into the darkness today, knowing that that is where God is. And it's a little scary as a, as a thought to go, well, let's just go for it into the darkness. And yet we know so eloquently the way you put it, that he is there and he'll be with us. And so thank you again for your message. Thank you for being thank here you. on the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I hope that those listening got a, a little taste and a few pieces and parts of things they can hold on to. All of the the Brene Brown links, those will all be in the show notes today. I think Jeff mentioned a book. Some Someone else might. Did you mention a book? Not today. As I edit, whatever we talked about will be there to the best of my abilities. And if there's something that I missed... Just send me a text. I will make sure that I'll make sure that it gets there. Next week we continue on with Voices of Whole Life Church. Arise to an unhurried life by Jordan's. Is it Soliday? Soliday? I'm not sure. I, I Soliday. Soliday. Okay. Well, so this is the first time. I think who's who's our last person? Jordan. Jordan is Leah. Okay. So that's a, this is a confirmation. This is the first summer series at Whole Life where I have known absolutely no one, not one person that has preached in this message series. I haven't known anybody. And now you know them all. And now I know them all. That's awesome. And so that's awesome. And so I'm hoping that now you guys also feel like you know Gina a little better, but Gina left us, and but you know Michael a little bit better, and you'll still see Michael, you'll still see Tatiana, and you, I don't know Jordan, but I'm assuming that you'll, you'll see still, Jordan around. You'll still see Jordan around. So good way for us to get to know each other, and so far... 
three out of four have been absolutely amazing, great topics. And so I'm looking forward to an unhurried life because I've got things to learn. I'll raise my hand on that one now because I already know that. So next week, it's episode 317. Don't forget Friday night for the foodie bonus, because that was a really good conversation to get us started (laughs) and a little bit off track, which happens. So catch that this Friday evening. And for the rest of y'all, thanks for listening and have a great week.